You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now, your hosts, Scott, Miles, and Anna. Your table is ready. Live long and prosper. This is the captain. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Well, welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 199. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. Hello, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. And where in the heck is Em? Well, she, she can't. Hi, have... I'm Ciro <laughs> Garcia, also known as the fool who forgot to took the, take the mute off. <laughs> That's okay. The last time I forgot to include you in the show, so <laughs> it was it wasn't me this time. No, I totally fobbed it up. <laughs> oh man! Well, welcome, guys. It's awesome to be back here. <coughs> it's awesome to be back here uh, recording the Sci-Fi Diner with you guys. It's it's great to be back in the diner, and uh, I brought some new uh, goodies to to put in here to decorate it. So yeah. So if you're in the chat room, for those of you who don't know, we do have a live feed of this on every other Tuesday, and you can go to our Facebook Facebook page or the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast dot com page and see our schedule as to when we're recording live. And we have some new little gadgets hanging around the room that Miles has been bringing and filling our geekiness, fleshing our geekiness out as if that wasn't known already. But. Right, but now now Sheldon has a um, has his Amy. Um, yes, the, the, the Sheldon bobblehead is now now with the uh, Amy Fairfield bobblehead. Yep, yep. You know what what Sheldon's missing? What's he missing? His close personal friend, Will Wheaton. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, you have him right here, baby. So, <laughs> yep. Sheldon, <laughs> best friends. That's right. That's right. Well, we are a part of the Chronic Riff Network of shows. So if you haven't checked out their network of shows, please check them out. Oh, it's some really great stuff there. There is tons of great stuff. A lot of good friends of ours that are on that podcast. Uh, you heard at the beginning of the episode, this is episode 199. And what does that mean, Miles? The next one is episode 200. Yes. And we are celebrating in style. We're giving tons of giveaways We'll be sharing our top five, a top ten, excuse me, ten sci-fi diner moments. And uh, we got to investigate, Miles, the other shows that have made it to episode 200. Right. Sci-fi shows. Oh, yeah. There, there haven't been a lot of those. So but uh, so we should have a small list. Mm-hmm. Small list for that. Um, and we'll give a little bit of sci-fi diner history. And obviously, we have tons of giveaways, which we've only had a few people enter the giveaways. And uh, so your chances are good. If you see something you want, just send in and let us know what you want. There's some details. Like I, put, I put my name in like 200 times, so I'm going to win it all. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hosts are not eligible for this content. <laughs> no. you, you need to put different names on there. Yeah, yeah see, so you, you need to put like a pseudonym. Uh, Johnny Von Banana Hammock. <laughs> oh, jeez. Family show, family show. It's totally family. <laughs> All right. Anyways, we're anyways. Long story short, we are giving 
loot away. So please visit our Sci-Fi Diner podcast page and you'll find the links to the episode 200 giveaways rotating through the top and just scroll down and you'll find it. And um, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can find it real easy. Well, Miles, why don't you go ahead and give us the menu tonight? Sure. Well, we have our interview with uh, Alan Dean Foster, uh, sci-fi fantasy author. He has written also a lot of tie-in novels for a lot of the, the sci-fi movies uh, we all love. Em um, and I had a chance to sit down and talk with him at, at uh, Four Point uh, TV News. We have um, we have a look at the two hundred. I'm sorry, two hundred. The, the one hundred. Two hundred's on the brain right now. But uh, there's a new show on the CW called the two, the one hundred, and uh, we're gonna play a clip for that. They couldn't count as high as the forty four hundred, so they just went to one hundred. I know. Small, <laughs> small TV budget. <laughs> but we'll go look at that later. Um, also, there is some leak uh, set picks reveal for a uh, first look at Gotham's uh, Batman Batty the Penguin in uh, in this new Gotham series that's going to be coming out. Also, uh, we have a couple new series. Well, we have a new, new TV series coming out, and we have a Falling Skies uh, trailer. So we're going to be looking at a trailer for The Last Ship. And looking for the trailer for uh, the, the season premiere of uh, Falling Skies. Uh, graphic novel news: um, Many of you are fans of the character of Spike from from, from Buffy and Angel. Well, uh, Buffy's uh, James Marsters on his new graphic novel, and uh, when that will be uh, premiering. Uh, movie news: uh, Walt Disney Pictures announces uh, Cars Three and Incredibles Two, and uh, Sci-Fi Five and Five. Well, that'll be Scott. He'll be giving us a Sci-Fi Five and Five. I will week. be your Sci-Fi Five and Five. The mm-hmm. five best things about Scott. Okay, we, this was no, not going to be... Uh, All right, it. good night, everybody. <laughs> and that's a wrap. No, <laughs> sure, uh, sure. it'll be the five, my five top catchphrases in science fiction. All right. That should be that should be good. Yeah. So we don't have any trivia this week because our trivia is, well, you entering to win loot from the 200th episode. So please uh, make sure, you again, you check that out. So let's move into our first promo tonight. And uh, we're going to play a promo for the Dune Saga podcast, which is a podcast that David Moulton, myself, and Jim Arrowwood, who's been on the show before, Mm -hmm. uh, runs. And we're working our way through all the Dune novels. And... um, we're we're book five. We're about ready to record our book, our fifth book, and so it's not too late to join. And we're about ready to head into Frank Herbert's universe. So, well worth checking out. So, anyways, here here's the promo for the show. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I Experience Dune like never before. The Dune Saga Podcast with David, Scott, and Jim lead you chronologically through the novels of Frank Herbert, Brian Herbert, and Kevin J. Anderson. Relive your favorite moments, join in the conversations, and let the spice expand your universe. The Dune Saga Podcast. 
Ride the Sandworm to DoomSagaPodcast.com or to iTunes for more information. bunch of stuff that's coming out in the TV universe that we can be talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Emma, why don't you go ahead and lead us off? So we're going to take a look at the 100, and let's go ahead and pull that trailer up. Yeah, so the trailer. So the 100, uh, Miles, what's the premise for this show? premise is there was a nuclear disaster on Earth, and so there's still humanity above Earth living there, and they try to... um, they think that maybe Earth is okay to resettle, and so they send uh, 100, 100 people down there to check it out. But, of course, there has to be some kind of disaster that ensues to create some good drama, and that's um, how these 100 people coexist with a radioactive Earth. So. Yeah, awesome. Well, let's play the trailer, and then we can uh, talk about it after the trailer. 97 years ago, a nuclear apocalypse killed everything on Earth, leaving the planet simmering in radiation. But fortunately, not everyone was on the ground. For three generations, humans have survived up here. So now, we get to test the Earth to see if mankind can finally go home. We've only dreamed of setting foot on the ground, breathing real air. Your drop site has been chosen carefully. We could spare you no food, water, or medicine. And I won't lie, we have no idea what is waiting for you down there. This is Earth. Everything's toxic. The bombs took him by surprise. God willing, the next age of man will begin with you. Everything we thought we knew about the ground is wrong. There's a radiation-soaked forest between us and our next meal. Let's build a society! Is this the kind of society that we want? What's wrong with a little chaos? How could you not want the rest of our people to come down? They're getting ready to kill 300 people up there to save oxygen. Can't afford mercy. We're one step closer to choosing who lives and who dies. We can take care of ourselves. They say they'll forgive your crimes. I say you're not criminals! to be to survive are very different things. All right. So uh, what the, the premise of this sounds a little bit more interesting than maybe the way we were playing it because it sounds like they're coming to Earth on necessity. They're running out of oxygen above mm-hmm. Earth and they're going to kill people just so they can have some more oxygen and live a little bit longer. So Earth maybe represents their only last hope, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's you got post-apocalyptic Earth. 
uh, they think it's ready to resettle and they find out it really isn't. And then you have the, the space station that can't continue to maintain and, and, and keep those people alive. And so um, it looks interesting. I'm going to at least check out the pilot at the, and um, we'll see if it's any good or not. Em, your thoughts? This is dark. This is not what I expected from a CW show, so I'm already intrigued. And this is a little um, like Lord of the Flies, survival of the fittest. And I don't, I don't know. I was a little, I was very shocked by that, and to, that that that's a, a CW show. So it's this is going to be kind of interesting. I'm, I, I was, I was going to push it aside, and not pay attention, but now they've got me. Yeah, I'm trying to see if- whoever directed the trailer gets a gold star. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so um, not much is known about it. I don't, there's a lot of these people, I just, I don't know a lot of these actors. Uh, Eliza Taylor, Marie Avangaropoulos, uh, Sachin Sahel, Sahel, I don't know. Sachin Sahel. I, thank you. You're, <laughs> I totally butchered his name. So, but. <clears throat> there's some faces that I recognize, but a lot of new young faces, which is kind of nice. Well, and again, this is CW. CW tends to gear itself toward a younger audience. Yeah, but they just showed us hanging somebody. Yeah. It's it's I don't know if, how young of an audience or how well, I'm not young talking like I'm not talking like my 6-year-old son. I'm talking about, you know, yeah. teenagers. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. It just yeah. I didn't expect that. Yeah. I know a few teenagers I could hang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so. recognize the All right. The African-American actor who sort of sends them there, but his name is Louis Mithman. I've seen him in lots of stuff. He was in uh, Grey's Anatomy and caused quite a stir by his personal behavior on set. That is how <laughs> I remember him. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Isaiah Washington. Okay. okay. Isaiah Washington. I'm just going to leave it at that or a rant will ensue. <laughs> okay. No rant. <laughs> Let's move on. And uh, who is the next story? Miles, I believe that's you and the Penguin. Okay, so... We got this off a blaster. There's some leaked set pics to reveal the first look of Gotham's Batman baddie, the Penguin. So filming is officially underway on Fox's Gotham, and now the second batch of pics have uh, trickled out. You want to look at the young version of the Penguin? We've already gotten a look at uh, Ben McKenzie's mustacheless uh, take on uh, Detective Jim Gordon. And now some set pics of classic Batman baddie, the Penguin, have arrived. The pics show Robin Lord, uh, Taylor Oswald's uh, cobbled pot, a.k.a. the Penguin, making his way through the gritty streets of Gotham. Uh, he definitely looks quirky and frazzled, and we could conceivably believe this guy shows up to be the, the grade-A psycho of the Penguin. The pics also show off a bit of, bit of a world-building as Cobblepot stops to read a copy of the Gotham Gazette, which seems to focus on two hero cops. We'll give you two guesses who they might be. Um, so... This is going to debut on Fox in the fall, and uh, I guess it'll be canceled. I'm just kidding. It will last a, <laughs> one season if we're lucky. You know that's yeah, well, but um, but yeah, I, I uh, the guy who's who they have him playing the Penguin. He looks, I don't know, he looks sort of normal. I mean, there's nothing you know too 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 weird about. It. I mean, he's wearing a trench coat, bow tie. If they bring if they bring Summer Glow in as Catwoman, it's definitely off the air. There's no other question. But I will watch it though. That's totally my joke. You just <laughs> <laughs> and stop no, picking on Summer. Can't. No, I know. 
These, again, another another new show with young people, a lot of new faces. Jada Pinkett Smith is in it, um, and Sean Pertwee, who is a really great character actor. I've seen him. I've seen him everywhere, but can never remember his name. So thank you very much, IMDb. Yeah. For helping me out there. Yeah. Yep. Well, anything else to say about this? Are you going to be watching it, Miles? At least I think I'll watch at least a pilot. Um, I don't know. A this is a prequel Batman series without Batman. I'm just not sure I, I, I can watch it. I mean, well, I'm going to tell you this sounds a little bit like Shield, uh, Marvel Agents of Shield. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they managed to slowly be gaining momentum, um, but it's like Shield without the Avengers. So Gotham City without Batman. I mean, I know, I know. But uh, but this is a pre-universe, you know. This isn't – Marvel is running in concert with – Marvel TV is running in concert with Marvel movies. Yeah. So that's kind of going parallel. This is this is kind of a build-up to what I guess they're going to try and do with Batman and Superman or whatever abomination they're calling it now. Um, I it's, more, it's kind of a little bit of, of a prequel, kind of like a Smallville is how I'm seeing it. But hopefully not with the last two seasons sucking like Smallville. Loud. <laughs> yeah, you said that out loud. I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but you're, no, you're not. It's I, Miles. I'm. Gonna, I'll watch it with you. Mm-hmm. Like we'll 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 push through this together. Okay. I mean, I, it sounds interesting, but just I don't know. This thing, it just seems to need Batman. Yeah, uh, Jen is looking forward to Gotham too, but mm-hmm. I probably will not be watching it. I just have. I mean, I'm struggling to get through Arrow, which, by the way, I just watched like the second to last episode. Totally awesome. But uh, that's for the listener feedback show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's move on into our next trailer. This is for a uh, Michael Bay TV show. Michael Bay. When was the last time he was on TV? I couldn't tell you. It's been a while. But Michael Bay, last. it's called a series called The Last Ship that deals with a global pandemic. So let me go ahead and uh, cue up the trailer and then we can talk about it after we listen to this trailer. Damn, it's cold. <clears throat> Should have taken that desk job in Miami. See if we can get your frozen ass back to Norfolk. Good afternoon, Nathan James. This is the captain. After four very challenging months at Radio Silence, we're going home. I think we've got it. The hell is that woman doing? See, I want you back on the ship. You have got to be kidding me. Five unknown aircraft approaching range 24 nautical miles. Go ahead, command your battle station. secrets. I want answers. I'm sorry you had to find out this way. Captain, we're the President of the United States on the VidCon. The last you heard, I was Speaker of the House. The President died two months ago. The Vice President a week later. Russia no longer has a functioning government. Most of our population is dying or dead. 
Does Dr. Scott have what she needs to make a vaccine? Seven months ago, outside Cairo, there was an outbreak. A virus that was like nothing any of us had ever seen. When we left Norfolk, the virus was at phase two. We are now at phase six. Global pandemic. Now our duty is to the entire world. For our futures, for our families, and for all humanity. Our mission now is simple. Stay alive until they find that cure. What do you guys think of that uh, little trailer here? Em, why don't you go first? Wow. <laughs> wow. And creepy and scary and will give me nightmares, so I'm totally going to watch. <laughs> Great cast. Yeah, absolutely. Really amazing. Um, Rhonda Mitra from Lost, if I remember correctly. Was she the one? Was she on Lost? No, um, she was on a couple other things. And Eric Dane. Um, Adam Baldwin, Jane's in this show. See, all goes, yes. back, to, all goes back to Firefly. Mm-hmm. There's it all comes back to Firefly. There's a lot of great. This uh, I'm sold. You know, the, the, I think what makes like for a show like this over the 100 for me is this just has a little bit higher quality of cast. And then again, it's Michael Bay, and he can do anything. <laughs> what? Yeah, um, but yeah, What? What episode? What? 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 Uh, where, where's this airing? Do we know? Same, same. I guess it'll it'll air same night that uh, um, Falling Skies is going to air. Um. So, but what station? Oh, that's um, TNT. Yeah, TNT. Okay. So pay cable. So they're doing it the same night as uh, Falling Skies. They're kind of banking on it. Mm-hmm. Kind of roping in some Falling Sky viewers. Is my guess right? Is what they're trying, what they're hoping for. I uh, this looks interesting. What what's going to be interesting to me is that this is with the type of actors that he is on it. It's just going to be a little bit higher budget. You may not have quite as much with the special effects, although some of those uh, attacks and blowups and stuff has to cost some money. Oh, it looks like it's it, yeah. It looks probably. practical though. It doesn't look digital, which yeah. Sometimes lately, practical is so much cheaper than digital. Yeah, but. Yeah, it's it's it. I can't think of the term, but just the fact that the filming is 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 not in the future. It's it's futuristic, but it's not. Excuse me, as futuristic as it should be for you know a couple hundred years in the future, we're living on a spaceship, you know, and then we come back down to the planet, and we're they're not creating new lives and new infrastructure and new geography and new biology and everything so they're I, I'm curious because I, I TNT does have a much bigger budget to pour into their shows we'll see what CW does with their limited budget I don't know yeah well I, I think it certainly has potential we'll see and it's I guess a fall show is my guess right we're not going to see that this summer or well, I, think coming, it, I think it's coming out in June oh it's coming out is it coming out with you're coming out with Falling Skies mm-hmm. right and Falling Skies is a summer show yeah so uh, well Em we're talking Falling Skies do you want to do you watch Falling Skies you know you always give me Falling Skies to talk about and <laughs> I have not completely watched it at <laughs> well, all well I tell you what I only watched the first two seasons so Miles really should be one talking about it <laughs> alright go I'll go. trade you I'll do the next one and Miles can talk about Falling Skies <laughs> there we go you can talk about the uh, Spike uh, graphic novel graphic go ahead novel. For Falling Skies? Yeah. Uh, well, we, we, we watch that trailer and, and see what y'all think. 
All right. Well, here, let me play the trailer. And uh, I'm sorry for those in the chat room. I know you're not going to be viewing this. I will look into a way to kind of play those trailers so you can actually see them in the chat room. That would be awesome. So, but let me go ahead and play this. Your daughter is not human. In time, she'll become just like me, but better. So I guess my only question, Miles, is do we have the main cast, the entire main cast of the original cast back? Looking at this, it just seems centered around, you know, the family. It seems around, you know, Mason, his boys, um, his wife, and their, their daughter. I didn't see anybody else from – I mean, I would assume they'll, they'll be there, but that, – But that, not for this promo. But at least not – yeah, this promo, it, I didn't see any of them. Saw this new female character in there. We might see, uh, my guess is we'll get a couple more promos before they launch out here in June. So we have a couple months, we're a couple months away. So right. They'll probably throw another trailer out maybe mid-April or something like that. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, Em, you've never watched, yeah, you, you kind of stopped, but you never watched Falling Skies? So I haven't, ne- <laughs> I've watched it, uh, I'm halfway through the first season. And I think what I need to do is uh, a power marathon watching. To, yeah. to just kind of get into it. I, I understand what's going on, and I was watching intermittently when I still had television before I broke up with it. Um, and there were the skitters, and then there were creatures that were the skitters were afraid of, and then that's kind of where I stopped. So there's a lot of detail I don't have, but I know that they saved his son, or tried to. Yeah. yeah. That's as far as I got. Yeah, We interviewed Ben, right? Way back in the day, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Connor uh, Jessup, I should, uh, <clears throat> I should post a link to that again since we're oh, getting yeah. into it. But, yeah. All right. Well, let's move on into the next uh, piece. So, uh, graphic novel news. And do you want to just uh, highlight a little bit about this M? Yeah. So, having just power watched all of Buffy last year and learned a little bit about Spike, I'm kind of excited because it's been a while since we've heard from our favorite. Uh, vampire of all time and it looks like he's returning it to in a whole new way and with a whole new look in a graphic novel dark horse has found its footing and a steady audience in with their buffy uh, comic collection so they're branching out and kind of creating something new for some of their favorite characters a la spike um 
So I'm kind of excited about this. I haven't read all. I've just started reading the Buffy graphic novels. But Spike was one of my favorites. I was really disappointed at the end of Buffy. And I'm going to spoiler it. So if you haven't watched it by now, it's been a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like what happens to Spike at the end. It, It makes me sad. And... Um, I'm really excited that Spike Into the Light, um, written by James Marster and drawn by uh, Darylis Santa Cruz, will, uh, first episode or first uh, issue will be July 16th of the summer. Very exciting. Awesome. Awesome. He's Trey Yummy, too, so this will be <laughs> So it helps. You know, we, we've seen Spike appear in Warehouse 13 and... Uh, Smallville. Smallville, yeah. Um, oh, Caprica. Hawaii, uh, Hawaii 5.0. You've seen James Marston, not Spike. I know, I know, but you always refer to him by the name they've kind of first gave and geeked him by. <laughs> but, <laughs> see, that's He'll be it... like 80 at the grocery store. Oh, my God, you're totally Spike. Shut up. <laughs> that's not even my accent. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, uh, something to look forward to, especially if you're a Buffy fan. You know, I got through seven episodes of Buffy and didn't make it any further. That's my confession. Father, I have sinned. I'll do five Hail Marys and then go to confession. So I'll tell you what I was told. Push through the first season and just kind of push your way through because then you, you really start to it, – it gains footing towards the end of the first season. And um, I didn't want to like it. I really wanted to hate it, and I so didn't. <laughs> well, I can't say that I hated it. It just it just didn't engage me the way I wanted it to. So, so See, it's also a little dated now too. So you yeah. have to when you go back, you kind of have to shift your mindset. We're the same age. You remember no, what it was I know. like. You know, I, I look I look at this and I say, if I go through the first season, then what I'm going to do is saying, well, I watched the first season, I might also watch the rest of them. You know, and then it'll be kind of an obligation I have to do. And then you'll be hooked, and then you'll be all like, oh my god, happy. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> anyway, well, let's do a brief cursory look at this. Walt Disney Pictures announced Cars Three and The Incredibles Two. Um, this exciting for you guys? I uh, really liked the first Incredibles, and I was wondering why they didn't make a trailer a lot sooner. Well, uh, you're going to get one. How about you, Em? I really loved Cars. It was adorable, and I Incredibles is my abs- is an, is is one of my absolute favorites. It's in the top three for me. I don't think they need to make another Incredibles unless this script is totally spot on. I did not enjoy Cars two, and I did not enjoy Planes. So I, I kind of wish they would leave the Cars franchise alone. Um, but any, I, I'd like to see more of The Incredibles. I'm surprised it took this long. But maybe they really wanted to craft it so that it was it was going to meet this, the high standards of the first movie. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm surprised. I guess Planes must have done pretty well for them. I saw that with my son, and he liked it. Um, he loved Cars, too. Um but uh, Planes, Fire, and Rescue, and Cars 3, I don't know. You know what? I enjoy the one-liners and um, what Owen Wilson voices the one and Larry the Cable Guy is the other the other voice of the tow truck. Mater. Mater yeah. I love and, Mater. And, 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 you know, they, there's some good comedy and good chemistry between them as voice actors. And so I'll go see Cars 3 when it comes out. I'm sure my son will want to see it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, but Incredibles... That's definitely one that I'm looking forward to seeing. My family enjoyed so that great. thoroughly. Such a great cast there, too. I know. 
I know. And hopefully they can get the entire uh, cast back. Oh, yeah, I'm they- sure they will. Like Craig D. Nelson and Sam Jackson wouldn't be all over that. <laughs> Tell me about it. Sam Jackson's in everything. He is. Yeah. All right. Well, I believe that is about it. No twist tonight because there's nothing going on in Star Trek. There really wasn't this this no, week. Nothing yeah. major. There is stuff going on, but nothing uh, major that we reported. Well, there was some cool stuff going on in science yesterday where they pretty much proved that the Big Bang really happened. So, no, baby Jesus, you didn't make everything 5,000 years ago. <laughs> science is awesome. Not that baby Jesus is a bad thing, but there's some amazing things that have happened in science that would make us trek to the stars. See what I did there? See, I see how you linked into the uh, this week in Star Trek. I just I wanted to give Miles something. Because yeah, <laughs> I we, care. I know. Besides hair, yeah. Because no, because I care. Oh, you're mean. Yeah. He is so mean to Miles. <laughs> I know. I'm terrible. I'm sorry, Miles. <laughs> Miles is going to walk out in the show. You watch. Will Wheaton does not approve. It's not nice. <laughs> oh, great. Sick Will Wheaton on me and I'm done. <laughs> if you're not careful, what did I say? Look, red shirt. Red shirt. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move in. <laughs> well, let's move into our uh, last promo tonight. I'm going to do a promo for a new show that that I just launched this week. It's not really sci-fi related, but hey, if you're a podcaster and you're interested in to see the equipment and the gear that goes behind the scenes, that, that happens behind the scenes when people are podcasting, this is kind of what this show is about. It's called Inside the Studio of the Podcaster. And I host it and uh, bring on all sorts of podcasters to, to talk about the gear that they're using. Em, I'm going to probably tap you on the shoulder to talk about your microphone sometime. It's very fancy. It is, and you can see it there in the uh, if you're in the chat room. Um, but let me go ahead and play the promo for this. And after the promo, we're just gonna phase out of this uh, phase into just talking a little bit about what it was like to meet Alan Dean Foster. Um, but we aren't going to air the interview tonight. I'll splice that in a little bit later on. Gotcha. All right. So here is a promo for Inside the Studio of the Podcaster. Come on in. Let's take a peek, pull back the curtain a little bit, and let's see what really makes podcasts tick. At Inside the Studio of the Podcaster, I examine the equipment, the software, the apps, and the plugins that make podcasts happen. I interview podcasters who tell me what their studio can't live without. We look at the good, the bad, and the ugly and give you our recommendations inside the studio of the podcaster can be found at podcastingguru.com Farpoint 2014 brought us into contact with a ton of great people, and we've shared some of the interviews from that con and some of the panels, uh, and we shared your big ba- your big bang panel just a few weeks ago. Yes, you did. 
Yeah, and um, yeah, but you guys, uh, Miles M, had a chance to sit down with Alan Dean Foster, this mm-hmm. iconic writer that almost almost fits into the golden age of sci-fi as far as writers go. Uh, tell me a little bit about that experience, Miles. Well, um, this is a guy who's written fairly recently the you know the tie-in novels for the new Star Trek movies, but he goes back far a lot farther, um, and he tells us in the interview his experience about writing for the Star Wars tie-in novel. Oh, yeah. Which is a great story behind that. Um, so, you know, we just, uh, we talked about his, um, you know, what, how he got started, uh, some, some of his other books that are out there that our, our, our listeners are probably familiar with. And, uh, um, you know, it's, a, it's just always great to meet an author that of, of books you have read in the past. And, uh, and of and, his caliber for that matter. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's definitely a high caliber writer. So, um, what was it like to kind of walk in there, have him walk in and sit down and do this interview with him? So he was really nice. He was, you know, business and talk about and let's do stuff and we'll have a conversation. And actually, it he was it was really nice to talk to. I really loved there was a moment where we kind of went a little bit off book and I think some kerfuffle was going on in the room we were recording in. And he just kind of told us a little story that was neat. And he tells even just off the cuff will tell a story beautifully. So it's I've not read his books, but I I know a couple of people who knew who he was and um, it was neat. I've, I'm very curious to see what he's written down. Yeah, well, I can't wait to hear the interview. I didn't listen to it yet, mm-hmm. so I'll be listening to it when I edit this podcast together. It is the best interview ever. Awesome. Well, of course, you and Miles are doing it. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right, well, without any further ado, here's uh, our interview with Alan Dean Foster from Farpoint 2014. Ladies and gentlemen, we're at Farpoint 2014, and we have the pleasure to be speaking with legendary sci-fi and fantasy author, Mr. Alan Dean Foster, one of the few authors I know that's uh, written both for uh, the Star Wars and Star Trek franchises. Fans of the 2009 Star Trek movie and uh, Star Trek in Darkness will be interested to know that Mr. Foster uh, uh, wrote the tie-in novel for uh, both those movies. Mr. Foster, welcome and thank you for taking time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Pleasure to be here. What inspired you uh, to be a writer? I like to travel. Mm-hmm. I got that uh, at a very early age from Scrooge McDuck. All right. who, even though he was basically a little old man who had to wear glasses and a cane, he went all over the world inspecting his properties and having the most incredible adventures, and I thought if a little old man with feathers can do that, I can do that too. And, and you wrote about those adventures? Every place I go and the people I meet and the things that I see and the things that I'm lucky enough to do, sooner or later, even without planning it, mm-hmm. ends up in a story. Nice. A lot of us know you from your, your tie novel work. However, you've written your own original stories also. Can you please tell us a little about some of your original work? I have several different series that were ongoing for years, some of which are still ongoing, at least in my, my mind anyway. One involves the universe of the Commonwealth, which is a fairly far future science fictional universe, and then there are series within that series. Then there's the Spellsinger series, which is uh, takes place in a... Uh, a world, an environment of talking animals and humans. I got that inspiration also from Carl Barks, the creator of Uncle Scrooge, and from a wonderful underground cartoonist who died much too young named Von Baudet. Mm-hmm. I always wondered what would happen if Carl Barks and Von Baudet ever collaborated, and since that wasn't a collaboration that was likely to happen even when they were both alive, I figured I would do it myself. 
Also, there are a lot of one-shot books. Uh, you mentioned travel, for example. I spent a month driving across northern India. Oh, wow. I covered 2,000 miles in a very small local car, mm-hmm. and that became a book about near-future India called Sagramanda, published mm-hmm. by Pyre Press, because I was interested in the... Uh, the thought uh, of what would happen to an Indian city of a million people, excuse me, a uh, hundred million people. A million people is a small city in India, even by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are places, for example, like Bombay and Calcutta, where even the Indian authorities don't really know how many people live there. So extrapolating from that, the, the possibility of a city of a hundred million people is uh, very real, at least in India. And I was interested in exploring, you know, how you would administer and deal with a city that size. You know, how would you handle things like sanitation and police? Uh, could you get an ambulance through it? What would you do with the sacred cows that nobody's allowed to touch and move in a city of 100 million people? And that's how Sagramanda came about. I don't mean to make it sound, you know, as so academic. It's an adventure story with various plot lines involving everything from a crazy French woman who goes out and ritually kills people because she's looking for Kali's lost finger, to a man-eating tiger, which if you read the news today is not, uh, is not even science fiction. So I'll do things like that from time to time just to get an idea, uh, an idea out and something that I can you know, fully develop. Meanwhile, I'm looking at the Book of the India on, on Amazon as soon as we're done. That sounds amazing. Oh, Sacramento? Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story about the cover. Uh, I'm trying to remember the guy who did it. Uh, one many Hugo's already the best artist. And the publisher needed a placeholder for the cover to show to distributors and stuff. And he had done this wonderful painting of a tiger, Roaring Tiger. Mm. And they just threw it on the cover there, and all the distributors liked it so much. So that's a great cover painting. That's terrific. Uh, so they didn't tell him that it was just supposed to be a placeholder and that he was going to do the cover later. They used that for the cover. And then somebody thought it would be nice to have some Sanskrit on the front, but they did it upside down because nobody really knew what Sanskrit looked like. <laughs> but since you're not going to get many Sanskrit literate people anyway, it wasn't a problem. Nobody, very few people picked up on that. I'm sure there'll be that collective that shows up at the con going, you know, this is wrong. Sanskrit's upside down. <laughs> Furthermore, it says, you know, stupid white people will buy anything. <laughs> <laughs> Now, being a Star Wars fan as well as a Star Trek fan, can you tell us uh, how you got the job to write the Star Wars uh, tie-in movie now? I know there's a story behind that. I had had three original novels and a number of novelizations come out at that point. Uh, the third novel uh, was called Ice Rigger, and it's the first book of a trilogy. It's an adventure novel, very, very much in the old planet stories tradition, I think, but maybe a little more scientifically accurate. Somebody, I don't know who to this day, had read the book and had mentioned it around the people who were working on Star Wars and thought that it was in the same spirit as Star Wars and that because I had done something like that and had already done some novelizations, I might be a good person to do the novelization of this movie that George Lucas was working on. I had an interview with Tom Pollock, who was George's lawyer at the time and later became, I believe, head of Universal Studios Film Production. And on the basis of that, I was then sent to have a brief hello with George, Mm -hmm. so I'd get his final approval, and I was sent out to Industrial Light and Magic, which at that time was in a rented warehouse on Kester Avenue in Van Nuys, part of Los Angeles, five minutes from where I grew up, actually, so I knew exactly where it was. And I went out there, and uh, there were all these 
broken up model kits all over the place. And there was this very strange thing, very much like this table we're sitting at here, only much, much bigger, with all these little plastic building-type structures out in the parking yes. lot. That was the trench for the Death Star at the end scene. It was too big to put inside the building. They didn't have a room big enough or uncrowded enough inside to put it inside. So thanks to Southern California weather, uh, they were able to shoot it outside, apparently. And I went inside, and George was busy. So there was this fellow who came over. He said, hi, I'm John Dykstra. If you want to see this really neat camera I've built? And it was really the first computer-controlled camera that anybody had used for anything. So he showed me. I should have paid more attention. He's showing me all these wonderful technical details like a tech guy would. And then George came out and we met and said hello and he said, come here, I'll show you some stuff. And it's like, here's the Death Star, it's this beach ball sized piece of plastic that's all been modified and worked over. And we got along really well and had you know, a very brief chat. He was, needless to say, very busy. Oh, yeah. uh, I, he, I saw some dailies, they had some dailies which were basically TIE fighter shots with no background and no music and no sound effects. And while we were watching that, uh, Saul Bass came in, another legendary figure in the history of Hollywood. And George was just like a fanboy, very much. Wish I can understand. I kind of was too, getting to meet very briefly Saul Bass. And then I went home with a copy of the screenplay and wrote the book. Wow, that's great. That's amazing. My turn. Go ahead. Now. Uh I'm sorry, I got so lost in that story. <laughs> it was great. Um, being that you've written a tremendous amount of uh, tie-in novels, uh, many of which Miles has read and told us a lot about, what's the great thing, or what's the what what gives, brings you a lot of joy in writing these novels, and, and what are the, some of the challenges? Uh, I'm still basically the 14-year-old kid sitting in the back of the movie theater with his friends, loudly criticizing the bad special effects. <laughs> if you extrapolate from that to what I do now and what I've been doing for the last 40-odd years. Uh, I'm still that same 14-year-old kid. The difference is I get to correct the bad special effects for real. So I get to make essentially my own di director's cut of all of these films. I get to add to the characters that I want. I want more of a character, I get to write more of that character. I want more of a scene, I get to write more of that scene. Um, if there's bad science, which there almost always is <laughs> in a lot of these movies, I get to fix the bad science, generally. Now, there are rare occasions, fortunately they are rare occasions, where the studio or the producers will get involved and they'll say, no, you can't do that or we don't want you to do that. But generally, since the novelization is just an ancillary, just an ancillary uh, product, uh, it's not like selling the film rights to, say, what they call British Commonwealth rights. It's a small thing. They don't bother you because A, they don't care, or B, they're just too busy. But every once in a while, somebody will get involved, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Usually, they're just happy to see that you are able to make a book out of the screenplay. Because most screenplay writers, no matter how good they are at writing screenplays, and this is not a knock on screenplay writing, it's just a different discipline, don't write novels. Mm. They're so attuned to paring everything down to the bare essentials that expanding them into a full-length book is just not something they do very well. Uh, conversely, most novel writers aren't very good at writing screenplays. They are, they are two, different, uh, two different specialties. So you're generally left alone. Nice. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I've, I've enjoyed reading um, most of the movies. Like you see, I'll read the tie-in novel also. And so I've, I've probably read dozens of, of, of what you've written. 
how can our listeners find out more about you and, and check out some of your past works and, and your uh, upcoming works? I have a website, big surprise, uh, com. I update it every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quick read, and it'll usually say what I'm working on, what's coming out, uh, and I'll post pictures from my travels. Uh, so it's not just a general chat site, it's also an informational site. And there's a great deal of accumulated information on it. People who are interested in the uh, the Commonwealth books, for example, will find a complete chronology of the Commonwealth with all of the books listed in chronological order and broken down by individual series. And there are maps of the Commonwealth, and there's an interactive map. You click on this planet, you get a description of the planet. So that's kind of fun. And then there are you know, well over 100 pictures from travels. And it's a good way to keep up. Great. Uh, Mr. Foster, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for your time, Absolutely. sir. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Now, who's ready for dessert? Sci-Fi 5 and 5, where we bring you the top 5, the worst 5, of anything in science fiction or fantasy, in 5 minutes or less. Alright, well tonight, the Sci-Fi 5 and 5, I guess I'm in charge of. This is your list, man. This is my list. It's all you, baby. (laughs) It's all me. (laughs) Um, So tonight I thought what I'd share are my top 5 catchphrases. And uh, that are in science fiction. And I tried to narrow them down to movies and then animated features. And, and I just didn't. They're, they're from all over the place. And they aren't necessarily the best ones. But these are the ones that I thought that I just really enjoyed. And there was um, there's there were too many to pull from. I'm just going to be honest. So, But here's here they are in no particular order. Um, uh, <clears throat> two are, I pulled two from the animated... Uh, Superhero series. The first is it's clobbering time, <laughs> and that's the uh, thing from the Fantastic Four. But, and then so why it, is that? Why is that? Yeah, it's clobbering time. I just think it's great. You know, as a kid, you just wanted to go around and clobber things. Come on, my son. My son <laughs> runs around. My son. My son runs around going, "It's clobbering time!" I'm like, son, not in the no. house, please. <laughs> I remember the, the the first. We won't. We will ignore what what the. The, the 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 live action movie that came out sometime in the eighties, but the one that came out in the you know two thousands, um, um, I, I like that uh, the torch had tried to get as much mileage out of their uh, experience as possible. So he made an action figure of the thing, and it, it said it's clobbering time. And uh, you know, <laughs> can you do that voice again, Miles? I like that. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> and, and 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 the thing didn't. I think he crushed the action figure doll when it happened. Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is Hulk Smash, that classic line from Hulk in the Avengers and um, the animated series as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a good line. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of my favorite lines when I'm in school and I can't like cuss in front of my students, the word frack. <laughs> well, if you can't, th- th- this is the <laughs> second F-bomb to drop. Exactly, the second four-letter word. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, what's, what's great, about, I, I guess, fracking is a real thing and just but, but it's funny when you read it's about a type fr- of mining 
Yeah. When you read about it, it's just, it's kind of funny. It's, it, sounds, it sounds dirty when they put it that it way. It does. Well, you know, they, they, I, I was actually a student of mine is doing a research paper on fracking, mm-hmm. and it's spelled F A R C K, but sometimes it's spelled F A R K. So they, they mix it up interchangeable, but I think the technical spelling of that is with a C in it, uh, where, with a frack that we're talking about from Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> Starbucks' favorite mm-hmm. curse word. Well, that harkens back to um, the classic Balestar oh, yeah, series, too. It's, it's way back. Yeah, way back. Good old yeah. classic. Good old but classic. But it's always – it's great. It's always funny to hear whenever there's some um, debacle about mining going on and you hear very serious news people going, and then the fracking continued. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and all I want to do is giggle because, you know, I'm – I'm a 12 year old boy. And then they show you like a big drill and uh, the, the, no, the, 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 the innuendo and everything else. Teach you anything. <laughs> no. I just Google fracking and there's just some of the, the truth about fracking. What is fracking? Fracking facts. Dangers of fracking. <laughs> well, I guess there are <laughs> dangers. <laughs> what, what happened to our family show? I know. <laughs> hey, we're just talking about fracking, you know, this is science. We're talking, we're talking about science. <laughs> Talk about right. science. All okay, right, let's, let's get back on. Going. My number two. My my number two is it's game over, man. Game over. <laughs> Aliens too. Yeah. Bill was it? Bill was Paxton. It? Yeah, Bill Paxton. Great <laughs> line. Great line. Um, and then probably my favorite line. It's hanging in my classroom. The, um, well, this line isn't, but the reminiscence of it. The troster, like I want to believe that hung in Fox Mulder's office, that hangs in my classroom. But that line, the truth is out there. They have it attributed from Fox Mulder, but I actually think the first time you hear it, it's spoken by the secret character Deep Throat, right? Um, Who's secret government, the agent, uh, who's saying to Mulder, the truth is out there, but so are lies, Mr. Mulder. Hmm. Is it the same dude as the smoking man? Uh, no, uh, but they appear in the same season. Uh, in fact, he actually, the guy that did him played in, uh, in a next-gen episode. I can't remember him. I can't remember the guy's name anymore. It's been so long. But anyways, all I know is he's running around the track. I think it might be the very first episode he appears on. And he comes in and says to him, the truth is out there, Mulder, but so are lies. You know, so that's kind of the line. Hmm. But anyway, so those are my top five. They may not be the best five, but hey, if you have a better five catchphrases, please let us know. You can send them on into the show at one 508 You can email them to us at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com. Um, anything else we need to cover tonight? Or I believe that's about it. I think we covered it well. I think we did a pretty darn good job. Indeed. All right. Thanks to the chat room. And thank you for joining us, listeners. And... Um, I believe that's about it. So let's get out of here. All right. Till next time. Good night and good luck. We'll see ya. Do your dailies. Thank you so much for visiting the Sci-Fi Diner. We hope you enjoyed the food, the service, and the conversations. If you'd like to share your thoughts regarding what we've talked about, or tell us what you're watching or reading, flip open your communicators and contact us at one 888 508-4343 or click the SpeakPipe link at SciFiDinerPodcast.com or send an MP3 or typed email to SciFiDinerPodcast at gmail.com You can also join the conversation on our Facebook fan page at Facebook.com slash SciFiDiner We'll share your thoughts on our listener feedback show 
we'd like to support the diner beyond the conversation. You can always throw some coins in the tip jar at sci-fi diner podcast.com. <laughs>